Alright, a couple of things today. We're talking with Dr. Scott Wustenberg again about anemia this time around. So anemia is a huge, huge, huge problem. Uh, if you don't think it is, then you should continue listening to the podcast to find out exactly how much of a problem it can be. Um, we go through how to um, read uh, a standard blood test so that you know a little bit more about what all of those funky numbers mean. Because uh, what we've found or what Scotty talks about is that there's a um, a set of figures for whether you're anemic or not. Um, but that's if you've got true, true anemia, but it's a spectrum. So you can be sort of on the low uh, anemia side, but not score as anemia. So you've got to know how to read these blood tests so that you can make uh, better informed decisions about what to do with your, with your health. Um, so if you want to get in touch with Dr. Scott Wustenberg from Optimal Life Chiropractic, do give 07-3371-022 a call. Uh, or if you want to talk to me, uh, uh, give me a call on 02-9817-6611. Any questions at all, email eric at brainandbodyhealth.com.au. Uh, and one final little thing. So um, one of my good mates is the sound guy that does all of the sound um, stuff for these podcasts. Uh, he chops out all of the um, you know swearing and all the other good bits. But um, he's told me that apparently um and ah uh and hmm are my are my um oh jesus i did it again <laughs> my pause breaks so i'm going to try and not say um and r as much as possible but i'm going to get one last one out of my system because i know it's going to irritate my mate luke a fair bit so here we go mm. oh yeah i see mm. generic noises all right guys enjoy the podcast about anemia uh yeah all right done Glorious topic. So yes, let's let's talk anemia, Doctor Scotty. Um, anemia is shockingly common, quite rare. Comments. <laughs> that's that's a really interesting question. If you listen to the um, standard medical doctrine, it's it's reasonably rare, and I think why that is is that the acceptable limits of um, iron, so to speak. So we should probably uh, define it and, and say, well, anemia is a um, condition where we don't have enough or we don't have optimal levels of iron to help make hemoglobin to help deliver oxygen around the system. Mm. Oxygen but, being kind of uh, important. It, it is, but iron does so many more things than just kind of delivers oxygen around the system. We're all really taught about mm. kind of making making uh, hemoglobin, so to speak, and delivering oxygen. But at, at the end of the day, you've got to imagine that um, it's a fairly steep curve of, of iron deficiency. And for every iron that we find in the bloodstream in a cell, like a red cell there, there's about 5 million other cells in the body that require iron. So if you're getting low in the bloodstream, you're starting to get into some serious trouble elsewhere. That's a scary so thought. It, it is a scary thought. And so we're not really kind of looking at this in quite the right way. So we've got these fairly large ranges for iron um, that, you know, you can get down to uh, depending on which lab. And the labs are not really very consistent either. So what we get is uh, one one lab will say the cutoff is, uh, say, 30. Another mm -hmm. lab will say the cutoff for low iron is 20. And another uh, lab will say the cutoff is 15. Okay. So if you're a 33, 
and you're a 14 year old uh, female with uh, heavy menzies and you know that that lab says that the the iron insufficiency for ferritin is is 15 you're in a fair bit of trouble because you're going to be a world of hurt but you can't convince a gp most likely that you're actually bad enough to actually require a bolus of iron by um, an IV infusion at that moment in time. So that's not really a very uh, good situation to actually be that in. That sounds like a frustrating but, situation that you've come across before. Oh, it, it's incredibly uh, frustrating. This is my daughter and a whole bunch of uh, mm. patients. So the answer to it is, in my opinion, iron deficiency is incredibly common. Uh, and uh, we've got different... Uh, biomarkers that are going to actually make this up. And so what we know is that basically uh, you've got your, your iron in the bloodstream, which has got a general range of something like you know 10 to 33 as the normal uh, reference range for iron. Mm. Um, you know, some people will say it's slightly wider, some people will say less, but your optimal range for iron is is kind of supposedly 10 to 25 and the sweet spot's about 21 22 for the frank iron in the blood okay now your ferritin has a much bigger range and again it will kind of operate between about um you know 20 to 300 is kind of the acceptable range and i want for most people that ferritin level to sit probably around 150 to 200 and the ranges are slightly different for women and men and if it gets too high it can be an indication that we're having liver damage or a, a, a situation that's genetic mm. uh, called hemochromatosis mm. so you, you know there are reasons that we don't want iron to, to be outside the range is it primarily genetic reasons why iron would start to accumulate like that um, inflammation will definitely do it. Um, oh, uh, liver really? damage will definitely do it. Certain drugs will definitely do it. But the one that's most commonly looked at is uh, hemochromatosis. Now, yeah. I have high iron uh, or high ferritin, and my uh, GP and my cardiologist suggest that this is probably uh, due to the sport that I've chosen, which is jujitsu. And so the amount of physical tissue damage is probably leaking a fair bit of um, bruising into my tissue and losing my iron that way, making a concentration of uh, iron to build up in the bloodstream as ferritin so that um, the inflammation doesn't start uh, driving oxidative stress. That, you, so you, who are you wrestling with, buddy? <laughs> a lot of really big people. It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you didn't just give me a bruise, I, I, you gave me hemochromatosis. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not quite that bad, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I don't I don't feel bad for it, but it, it's building up. And it got up to about 600 and was starting to go, ooh, this is getting a bit high. Okay. But, the concern um, being yeah. that high iron, it promotes inflammation. It, it does promote inflammation. It, it promotes uh, liver damage. It increases your homocysteine. Your homocysteine will start driving heart attack risk as well as Alzheimer's or, mm. or dementia type risks. So if they're your sort of latter stage, long-term high iron concerns, um, what would be yep. some of like the earlier symptomatology someone should be worried about? Like if I'm just starting to get into the realms of my iron's a bit high, um, what what, what uh, would I be feeling symptomatically as a layperson? Again, 
you could probably start feeling some soreness uh, and tenderness around joints and muscles. Mm. Uh, you could be feeling a bit headachey, a bit foggy in the head. Uh, you could become reasonably flushed in the face, potentially. Mm. Um, you might get some intermittent nausea, but it's anything that drives an inflammatory cycle, which because iron is a really good oxidator, uh, it, it will drive a whole lot of inflammation in people's system at that moment in time. And so the question mark at that moment is, is it the inflammation driving the, yeah, the ferritin to go up or is it the ferritin driving the oxidative stress? And mm. there's not a lot of good literature to, to talk either way. So what we then kind of have this, this situation of is there's a whole bunch of young ladies out there who are running around with what we'd call suboptimal iron. And mm. I try and get my patients to think of it this way. Your iron in the bloodstream, so your, your frank iron, which we want sitting at about 21, 22, is like the dollars you've got in your hand to spend to pay your bills. The iron that you have as ferritin, which is a storage molecule, so it's a protein uh, that binds up the iron and keeps it safe, is the money that you have in the bank to keep replenishing the money in the hand for when the bills come due. Mm. So if your ferritin level's down around 20 or 30, you're fundamentally bankrupt. As soon as you've paid your bills, your exertional stress, I need to make a bit more hemoglobin, I need to go for a run, we're going to get into a whole lot of trouble very, very, very quickly. And so these people are going to see a whole lot of uh, fun pain syndromes. So unfortunately, as you and I probably went through university and learned about iron and learned about um, human anatomy physiology, we talk about iron really towards this hemoglobin and we measure mm -hmm. hemoglobin. But what we really don't kind of get taught is I have a student observer at this moment who kind of had this epiphany today as we were going through this is, you know, there's a few other things that really require iron. OK, so if we start listing a few of them for you. So we know that um, that iron makes a hemoglobin and we know that the menstrual cycle, we're actually losing iron and protein, aren't we? Mm. So as it turns out, everyone goes, ah, the reason that your menstrual uh, cycle is, is, or rather your iron is low is because you've got a heavy menstrual cycle and, and you're losing all your iron that way. Well, as it turns out, the estrogen that's required to actually help keep your, your cycle regulated requires iron to actually move through from cholesterol, pregnenolone, down to testosterone, down to estrogen, okay? The... P450 enzymes, the cytochrome um, 1A2 uh, and 1B1s and the uh, COMT um, enzymes that help detoxify things like estrogen mm. are also iron-dependent enzymes. So all cytochrome oh, okay. uh, that we'll find in the liver, etc., are iron-dependent enzymes, okay? So the neurotransmitters such as serotonin, dopamine, uh, you know, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, mm. all are iron-dependent um, neurotransmitters and hormones. Uh, so we could see a small bit of an issue there. To make macrophages to run your immune system requires iron. So if your immune system uh, is, is on the fritz, you, you could very well have a, an iron deficiency anemia going on. But remember, your iron level is going to be perhaps 33 like my daughter's was. So my yeah, daughter money in the hand had, is not too bad, but in the bank yeah, you got yeah, zero. Yeah, yeah. 
She, wow. Exactly. I so she I had, had no idea the iron was that important for neurotransmitter it, and all. Jesus, that's a mess. Every one of the neurotransmitters. So when we're doing kind of uh, neurological rehab on a patient who's come in suffering with anxiety patterns or suffering with, you know, depression, mm. and we're, we're looking at their eye movements and we're talking about, okay, well, let's get them over to do this and we'll do this rehab exercise, focus on this target. What building blocks do you think are actually required to do it? They don't do it magically. Mm. Those eye movements require things like serotonin in the background. They require the cortisol to drive the blood sugar up to actually fire the glucose to the muscle to make the neuron work, to make the muscle work, to move the eye to the right spot. Mm. So at every stage along the way, you required iron. Now, I haven't got to the fun part yet. We haven't got to the mitochondria. It gets gets better? I, yeah, I was just about yeah. to say, but before you get into mitochondria, that's got to be so the patients that are just bomb out with fairly low grade stimulation, or people who do a little bit of exertion and they're tanked. Um, yeah, like they, they look at low. low this yeah. is absolutely the stuff. That's it. So. We'll, we'll continue. The mitochondria is the, the other imperative part because the mitochondria are in every cell. So they're in every one of the neurons. They're in every cell everywhere in the body mm. and they provide the energy to do everything. And so the electron transport chain has all these protein blobs in it. And so to make the energy go in from one or, or the substrate go in from one end through the electron transport chain to send out ATP at the other end requires four molecules of iron. Mm. So every mitochondria requires at least four molecules of iron to make ATP come out the other Jeez, end. Hence so you're, five million units per. Okay, wow, that, that's a hungry, exactly. hungry. Exactly. Uh, so you think about that brain. I'm going to do some neurostim. I'm going to drive the the brain to get the eyes to hit that target, so that we can stabilize the mesencephalon. Let's just take that one. Hmm. So high stress patient using all their their. Uh, resources to make cortisol, their eyes are off target, they're getting a bit vertigo-ish, light-headed dizzy spell, okay? And so we do this really simple uh, brain retraining, you know, nothing too significant, and they tank afterwards. Well, there's the cortisol that required iron down the pathway, there's the serotonin that required the iron down the pathway, there's noradrenaline Mm. and the adrenaline and the dopamine, but at every step, every one of those cells, the muscle, the neuron, the liver, the, you know, every part required four molecules of iron to get it to work for them. The fuel for so, the fuel. Yeah, it's just a bad situation. And we have, like I've got a, a bunch of different, and again, they're all young ladies as it turns out. Mm. I don't see this very commonly in men. Men are much better at retaining their iron uh, than women are. Uh, there's a few obvious reasons for that at that moment in time, I think. Mm. Um, but we, we have these situations whereby they come in, we run the blood tests, we find that they're like, uh, I've got a patient who's at 20, her ferritin's at 20, her, um, you know, her frank iron in the bloodstream's about 12, so she's got really low iron, but it's not below the range because that lab's cutoff was 15. It's a lab in Sydney, in fact. Mm. And so the doctor says, oh, well, all you need to do is just take an iron supplement, you're fine. Okay, so we've been trying to get this young lady's iron up 
for about two years and it's just not going up. And so we put iron in. She feels temporarily better. Mm. Her system loses iron each month. She's a high-level dancer, uh, so mm. there's a lot of stress on the body. She just can't physically get up ahead of steam. And for some reason, and, you know, iron infusions do have a slight degree of risk and they can cause tattooing and some people mm. might get uppity about that. But for, for the majority of the women who are coming in wanting to seek a solution, an iron infusion or an iron injection will be absolutely brilliant for them and it will give them enough energy to be able to make the other changes mm. and actually maintain them but it's really hard to get this past the goalie and we need as a uh, is, is as a, a profession is there a mechanism where so if you do have a few iron infusions and you start to develop a reasonable ferritin storage uh, does it essentially start to kickstart itself where you don't need to consistently supplement with iron for the rest of your life or if you're a low uh, iron person it's something that you should be looking at for the rest of your life that, that's a really interesting question so generally speaking I've had uh, only uh, one patient need more than one iron infusion to get their iron level up to a level where they could function and the uh, iron supplementation and dietary changes uh, weren't like for most people once you have that first iron infusion within like days you start to feel more normal mm. headaches go down chronic pain goes away energy starts to pick up mood changes you become a whole lot nicer person to live with and I'm speaking with very quiet um personal experience trying not to get big ears in the back room listening over as I'm commenting about it yeah. um, <laughs> but it makes a massive difference very quickly and what we find is that once you start supplementing from there generally speaking uh, the the big bolus you had plus the supplementation makes the difference now at the same point in time what we'll then do is we will look for uh, what the other cofactors are is there something like a gluten intolerance mm. are you getting damage in the gut do you have a parasitic infection that's eating up all your blood is there mm. bacterial problems in there so you don't just go oh look aren't we clever we gave you iron by bolus you're done or oh we'll just keep giving you more injections and that'll do it you hunt for the the other things yeah, the because other okay. the, there's a bunch of other stuff that we're looking at so like for iron status, we have these different ranges that we look for. Now, if you have a low iron and a normal ferritin, we start thinking about uh, lack of absorption or lack in the diet itself. If you've got low iron and high ferritin, we look at things via an iron storage defect or potentially a lack of vitamin B6 going into the system. So you wouldn't look at supplementing the the iron itself you'd look at supplementing b6 mm. and making sure that people were storing properly high iron and high ferritin we look at hemochromatosis because this is that iron overload mm. normal iron low ferritin this is latent iron deficiency anemia and commonly also uh, iron deficiency anemia uh, where you've actually been supplementing and the normal level of iron is starting to come up. Low iron and ferritin is obviously frank iron deficiency, but at the same point in time, we'd also be looking to see what their uh, mean cell volumes are because where the mean cell volume on the blood test, so 
on, on a full blood count, you'll see uh, a marker called FBC in the red cell range. Mm. And so what we look for is your hemoglobins and your um, full blood count. So a normal hemoglobin will generally be, uh, you know, right in the middle of the range. And that's kind of what we're looking for. And the range might be 120 to 165. And you're aiming for about 140, 145 in most people. Gotcha. And so, yeah. again... If the hemoglobin's low, we start looking at uh, problems with iron, zinc, B6, and protein. And again, that's a situation called microcytic anemia. Mm. Uh, if your um, hemoglobin is uh, you know, low and your mean cell volume is really high, we'd be looking at macrocytic anemia. And this is a problem with either protein, B12, or folate. And so it's never as simple as, oh, look, the iron's gone, so you're just anemic. You've got mm. all these other factors that require these things to actually do the job properly. Mm. Um, so it really so happens in isolation. It's always a... Funny, there's all these other cofactors. And so that's it. You'll see oh, iron's a little low, but it's not super bad. Mm. The hemoglobin's a little low, but it's not super bad. But the mean cell volume, instead of being at the 90, which is the sweet spot we're after, is going to be down at 82, 83. And we know that that person's going to have some problems with, you know, fatigue. They're going to be getting... Uh, so I should probably explain. The mean cell volume is the average size of your red blood cells going through the system. So what you're wanting is a sweet spot that it's big enough to carry the most amount of hemoglobin to carry the most amount of oxygen, but not so big that it can't actually fit through the capillary beds, mm. which is your smallest um, blood vessel. So the problem with this particular test is that it's, um, it's a computer that's actually generating the answers. So we get a, a smear of the patient's blood, we put it on the slide, we stick it under the computer-aided microscope, and it counts out the average of all the, the sizes. Mm. So if you've got, you know, 10 red cells on the side, slide, and five of them are too small, they're down at 80, and five of them are too big at 100, what's the average size? Yeah, okay, yeah, 75. It's right in the middle. Yeah. So that's not gonna show up. So you actually have to look at the patient and you have to look at all these other cofactors going, well, the iron's a bit low, the protein's definitely a problem, mm -hmm. they've got an issue with their zinc on the blood test, so maybe there's more of an issue. Oh, look, their B12 is also low, so that's gonna mean protein and B12 will pull the, uh, the mean cell volume up and the protein and iron insufficiency and zinc insufficiency will pull it down. So you're basically making mm, too many small cells and too many big cells and you've got major trouble. The person's going to feel fatigued. They're going to feel sore. Mm. They're going to have foggy heads. And again, no one's going to believe them because we're looking yeah. at a computer-generated problem. Is the answer to that then, uh, so okay, if we're showing like normal blood level iron, um, would it be just looking at a smear without putting it through a computer or is there like a, a, like a tissue biopsy that can be done or how would you test like tissue iron versus, or is iron still the, the um, gold standard, just don't put it on a, uh, get a better algorithm, <laughs> get a better computer? Well, 
Yeah, fundamentally, it simply comes down to you have to look at all these other markers. And unfortunately, how these things get commonly uh, measured and looked at is that the, the pathology lab spits out a, a piece of paper uh, or sends it to the, the practices computer. And they mark these as either H or L, or they'll mark them in red if they're outside the range. Mm. And I worked in a medical practice. And what was actually done is that the, the receptionists, who are generally uh, what are called medical receptionists, or they have training in, in medical jargon, but they're not nurses, they're not uh, anything trained or otherwise, uh, taught to look at this um, the receipt that they get from the, the pathology lab on the computer, and they look, does it have H's or L's or is it marked? If not, then it's, it's shuttled to the file under the doctor's heading for no further follow-up or non-urgent con so the doctor doesn't even get to look at them so when the patient comes back in or even you know that they're waiting on their result but it's been shuttled to no further contact or follow-up required because it's it, it's sitting at 33 but the cutoff was 30 you know, you're in the range. You, you're crap in the range, mm. but you're still in the range. And so the doctor doesn't even know that there's a problem, so no one follows up on them. Yeah, okay. And they just get lost through the cycle. And they kind of go around for another six months. Well, the doctor said if I had a problem, they'd phone me back. Well, they never even got to see the lab result. They didn't even get to throw their own eyes on it because, unfortunately, these people don't have the amount of time and they are triaging all the time. They are looking for the person who is going to die. Yeah. All of that that medicine is based on, are they going to die? No, I don't have to spend the time I, I might otherwise want to because the next guy is coming in with a heart attack happening. Or And people's health is so bad that having a bit of low iron doesn't really register really high, mm. even though it causes chronic fatigue chronic migraines, headaches, you know, all these things are to do with low iron. I certainly find with patients that do have low iron, they're generally the hardest patients for me to get better until we sort out yeah. the iron issue. Like it's like, a, you know what, we may as well just hit pause, get your brain ironed up and then we can uh and then we can talk but um how, how do you go with communicating with gps about this like is there much pushback where they're going oh they see the the c word on your letterhead and go oh chiropractor no no that can go in the um, unurgent file um or is it a bit more I get all responsive than that no, it depends on, on the, the practitioner, basically. I get both responses. I get uh, chiropractor, yep, don't pay any attention to that. I get patient uh, or, or doctors who are quite willing to work with me and uh, happy to actually try and figure out what's going on with the patient because the patient is, they know categorically that the patient's got a problem, but it's, it's not in their normal mm. realm because they're not showing up the really bad stuff. And so they're happy to, to run the tests and actually follow instruction. And we find the answers and we get them well. Um, then we have others who, uh, they don't really, it's not that they're pushing back against the chiropractic. It's just that, mm. you know, at the end of the day, I'm saying, look, this patient requires a, a an iron infusion. 
but it's on their license. They're the one prescribing it and they oh, have okay. to be able to be yeah. comfortable. And, and I totally get That's that fair. and I have lots of respect for that. But I, I still think they, they might need to do, you know, a bit more physiology and a bit more biochemistry and a bit less pharmacology and actually look at the basis of people. Mm. You know, rather than giving the patient for, for uh, you know, their, their chronic severe headache and the MDET tablet to actually start getting the pain under control, you could look at the fact that they've had a chronic iron sufficiency for the last 18 months. They have a ferritin level of six, and we know that chronic iron insufficiency causes migraine-type headaches. Mm. And don't give drugs, which also require more iron to get rid of. Hmm. Give them some fucking iron. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is that uh, so? If you were to take, like, okay, so if we had a patient who's uh, let's go to the high iron scenario, uh, and they're inflamed because of it. Um, will treating the inflammation have any impact on iron absorption? Yes, it will. Uh, so, um, not so much the absorption, because they're already absorbing the iron really well at that moment in time. What it's going to do is it's going to stop the body wanting to stick the iron into storage. Mm. So it's going to be able to go to the body where it needs to be. So the kind of the way to think about this system about chronic inflammation is Traditionally, in our forebears, Cro-Magnon man, the, the main source of uh, inflammation was based upon infection. So all of the bacteria and viruses want our iron for their life cycle. So they want to get a hold of it to keep themselves going. We want to use the iron for our own purposes and the macrophages use things like copper and iron to make what are called peroxisomes and they peroxidase the... Um, the bacteria. So the macrophage, like Pac-Man, comes in, binds the thing up, and then then grabs the iron and turns it into a free radical, and it stabs the the bacteria and punches holes mm. in its outside structure and basically implodes the guy. So we put the iron into storage that the bacteria can't get a hold of it, and that we can use it to do the things that we're meant to be doing. So the unfortunate thing is, is that our society has moved from a, uh, a sick, infectious society to reasonably clear of dying from, from bugs and bacteria, but have moved into a chronic uh, electrosmog, autoimmune, uh, bad food, too much sugar, gluten-induced, glyphosate-induced chemical soup. Preach. So, unf unfortunately for us, our immune systems get tripped up because we're looking mm. we're designed to be dealing with infection and really a little bit of immunity stuff and now we're dealing with limited amounts of infection so to speak mm. or yeah. chronic low-grade infection things like well you know cytomegalovirus you got that thing when you were 14 years of age kissing that pretty girl that you liked and yeah, you got a bit it, sick at the I, time I i'm sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, you, you got it and you got sick and then you made some antibodies and you got on top of it. But it doesn't go away. It lives in your system still and it will hide in, in things like your dorsal root ganglia. Mm. Uh, and it comes out to play with you again when your stress levels and your resources get out of balance. And so this is where people will get shingles from their, their mm. herpes, their chickenpox viruses. But that occurs when you've got so low in your B12 and your ions that you no longer have the resources to suppress these things. Mm. And that 
then traps the body into a cycle of I've got an infection, got to hide my iron. So the ferritin level goes up. We have the chronic um, inflammation from like a diabetic situation. The cell signals are still inflammatory. The brain then considers there must be an infection going on hides the ferritin. Mm. So that's where these uh, these ferritin levels go up without it being an infection at that moment in time mm. and quite separate and distinct from hemochromatosis, which is obviously genetic. And the solution to that one is they get you to go and donate um, blood. Mm. So, so is that just where, lower your iron uh, level. Like, do you ever get patients that... Because um, yeah, without the genetic um, testing to say, you, hey, hey, you've got hemochromatosis, I imagine you'd get people who were scoring in the hemochromatic zone but it's purely from that chronic infection is that, is that part of it or, or is hemochromatosis yeah. just next level altogether no 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 they, they look exactly the same it mm. just happens that if you're you have true hemochromatosis and you keep driving your iron level up you're going to get into trouble. You're going to get liver uh, damage going on. You're going to get foggy headedness mm. and there's going to be some real issues going on. The same thing will occur if you've got inflammation and you keep eating really high iron source food, you'll still get trouble. Mm. But uh, one will return back to normal pretty quickly as soon as you get your iron under control. The other is pre-programmed to keep wanting to store it. And so you've got to be a bit more stringent with uh, lowering the iron in the diet and, uh, you know, trying to, to bloodlet, etc. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of fascinating. I saw a case where uh, someone was asking for how uh, they were showing up a bunch of different problems, including low ferritin levels, and someone suggested that they actually have some iron, and they got jumped on. Oh, but I've got a hemochromatosis. I don't want any iron. That's going to be bad for me. I'm like, yeah, but your ferritin levels down at thirty again. You don't actually have a problem with hemochromatosis at this moment. Stop it. Um, so no, it's not more le next level. But people get quite frightened about these things. Mm. Um, well, it's funny because um, yeah, I mean, my, I mean, I'm sure, as you know, my wife has hemochromatosis. Um, so throughout um, pregnancies, you know, blood tests regularly, monitoring all those sorts of things. So um, iron levels going into pregnancy were quite high. But then um, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, parasite that turned into my uh, young son, uh, as he grew and grew and grew in Beck's, in Beck's belly, um, he sucked all the iron out of her. So it was, who, who needs to do bloodletting? Just uh, yeah. Well, you're sort of doing it at the same time. You're just making more more of the blood go yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I, th I think um, it got to the point where she needed to um, uh, supplement with iron at one stage. Um, that's kind of kind of interesting. I like that. Um, um, I'm going to recommend a whole lot of my um, my my male patients. <laughs> you just get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It's an easy fix for this, mate. You just need to find a way to get pregnant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's solved. <laughs> Yeah, or let the vampires uh, yeah. uh, have a go. Either or. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of the, the interesting concepts and solutions in, in around um, mm. iron and um, low iron. But it's definitely very common. Um, mm. You know, we're, we're seeing a whole lot of people with these things. People with low iron do not respond well to uh, neuro rehabilitation because they no. just don't have the energy. Uh, we know that people with low iron don't detox particularly well. They don't make a whole lot of their neurotransmitters, so they can be quite anxious. Mm. And what's really interesting, again, I tend to find this, uh, is that 
I find a lot of young white females, uh, 16 to 25 years of age, generally have uh, become vegetarian, vegans, etc., for ethical reasons. And uh, they're just not eating enough iron to keep themselves going. Mm. And what seems to occur is they also get this drop in their B12 levels. And arguably, their, their thought processes are actually becoming kind of adult. Now, people will argue with me and say, oh, look, you're being, you know, stereotypical and etc." All I can do is read the biochemistry. And when we see the biochemistry, it's got low iron, low B12. And they're making decisions that are actually not in their own best interest for survival. You start to wonder about the mm. the basis of some of these things. And you think, well, maybe they made the decision to go off these things because they were already low iron, low B12, and they weren't thinking through what's actually clear for the body. Because, um, I mean, I'd imagine, I mean, I, look, I, I'm of a fairly similar mindset to you there, mate. Um, I think we had pointy teeth for a reason. Um, so, uh, you know, eat meat, it's good for you. But um, it, it, with people well, that, um, you know, do like Buddhists and that sort of thing, you know, you've got an ethical reason to be, that's your, your belief, good on you. But, um, well, I mean, well, I'd imagine the volume of, like, baby spinach you'd need to eat to equal one lamb well, chop would be, you know, reasonably. Sadly, without wanting to give credence to the marketing advertisers, the truth of the matter is you're 10 times more absorbable eating from a heme source than you are from a vegetable source for iron. That's good to so know. So those, those adverts uh, that, you know, show like a tiny piece of uh, red meat that's like 100 grams and a 10 kilo pile of spinach over here, they're actually true. Hmm. Um, now, you know, there, there's there's kind of ways and means again. You know, if you've got a really high iron level as a male and you're 40 years of age and in good health, you might not need more than a lot of vegetables and a little bit of meat here and there. You know, mm. it, it's not such a oh my goodness situation. But uh, other people are not actually in that particular category. And, you know, there's, there's some really interesting work that I read by... Um, a neuroscientist by the name of Yak Pansky. And he's one of the things that he, he pointed out uh, is that um, ungulates, so uh, herbivores, uh, are born eyes open, ready to run. Mm. Okay? Predators are born eyes closed, ears closed, basically dysfunctional, requiring a lot of parental input to keep them safe until they've grown enough and learned enough to actually be able to uh, survive on their own separate from their parents. Hmm. Okay. So what do human babies look like? 50-50. Oh, they're pretty useless. Yeah. Pretty useless. Babies, babies, human babies are born eyes closed, hearing closed, Hmm. and cannot survive on their own for any length of time without parental yeah, involvement. They're not, they're not running they, anytime they, soon. Yeah. So we are, from that point of view, predators. Hmm. That's that's a biological fact. Uh, now, we can then argue ethics and, and all sorts of other things after the fact, but that's only because we have a frontal lobe that's developed enough to give us a thought process to make hmm. the decision. The other predators are doing it a lot more instinctually than we are. Yeah. Well, there's, so, there's ethics and then there's biochemistry. And so, okay, yeah. that's, that's the choice. Awesome. But these are the consequences. I mean, I make some arguments and again, I, I welcome uh, people to argue against me, but I suspect that largely the, the current popularity of the vegan diet has only been uh, made 
bioavailable because of the capacity for supplementation brought about by the recent industrial revolutions. Mm. Okay, food technology makes it available because mm. there's no usable B12 from a plant source, full stop. Ah. Ah. Now, there are some suggestions that there is a very specific form of seaweed that actually has a tiny bit. And because the Okinawans actually eat an awful lot of seaweed in their diet, that that's the reason why they actually survive. But, yeah, you're looking you at know, a tiny population that's, yeah, you people are extrapolating data off a tiny subset of this magical, miracle, little tiny, yeah. Two populations in the world, the Hunters and the... Uh, uh, on Kanawans out of currently around 7 billion people. So I suspect that the majority have the, the kind of basis of it. So there's no real B12 bioavailable from plant sources. Uh, it's available from animal sources. It's actually made by bacterium and the bacterium are found in your gut. Now, if your gut was perfect and you were living kind of kind of perfectly without any stress or herbicides or otherwise, you might not need so much animal protein, uh, whether it's egg source mm. or meat source or otherwise, to actually keep yourself going. Then we have that next equation that, uh, you know, the bioavailable amount of iron from a plant sources is quite low compared to that from an animal source, mm. such as an egg or otherwise. So it's essentially if we, uh, um, if we didn't have the glyphosates and the gluten and all the other things creating our gut permeability issues, we wouldn't need to eat as many, uh, um, as much meat as we do, but because, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. Am I, yeah. Am I on? That that's, that's a good sum up. I, I think it's an excellent sum up, but it gets a little worse again. So our, our next step of problem is that we also have things like contraceptive medication. So we have a, a product that we're putting into systems that requires an awful lot of processing and it helps drive things like copper accumulation, which also knocks out uh, iron from the system and it, it blockades it about six to one so you have anti-nutrients that actually stop you utilizing some of your products further it helps with a lot of capillary growth and angiogenesis so you actually make more blood vessels to fill up and uh, that takes iron away from uh, red blood cells and again we're only looking at one facet but well you know if you put the, the estrogens, and it, it's, it's not yours, it's a xenoestrogen, into the system, consistently raising the level month after month after month, you require more and more cytochrome P450 enzymes and C-O-methyltransferase enzymes, which require iron, to actually get rid of the estrogens that you're putting in. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, it extrapolates on, extrapolates on, extrapolates on. Everything builds up a problem. We are not living in a, in a healthy yeah, environment it'd, it'd anymore. Nice now we're uh, too low, too high, but no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's complicated. But essentially, uh, if you've been feeling foggy, uh, sore everywhere, depressed, um, pain syndromes, get your blood levels checked. Uh, chronically inflamed, get your blood levels checked. If your iron's even close to away from the perfect midline, do something about it. 
Yeah, get go and do some bloodletting. You know, drop a pint or two out. Someone will really benefit from it. Mm. You know, in the meantime, you're taking yourself away from any um, cirrhosis of the liver and liver damage. Mm. And then in the meantime, you work out what it is. Is it too much alcohol in your system? Mm. That's a real classic one for it. Uh, you know, what do people do a whole lot of in, in Australia for their pastimes? Oh, we sit around the barbie. We drink beer, uh, we might eat some uh, some chips, we might um, eat a, a whole bunch of other junk food, go get a kebab at two in the morning, and the, the food creates the inflammation in the first place. But again, alcohol requires the, the iron to process it. It's just, yeah, everything gobbles up iron. Poor iron. Correct. Poor, poor so, iron. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, eat me. I just... I, well, you know, <laughs> I can't say that. Everyone's got to make their choice. That's but true. at the very least, well, I suppose you, you've got to... Some people with the... Uh, you can get a, a reaction to arachidonic acid as you break down meat protein sources. Some people can get um, a, a inflammatory reaction to... Is, is that... Did I, did I just read that somewhere and it's, and it's pro-science or is that an actual thing? Oh, uh, I haven't seen that particular one. But, I mean, again, people will build up uric acid levels from the, the protein mm. that they're consuming. However, on the flip side of that, you kind of got to think if they're building up uric acid levels, maybe there's a problem in the detoxification pathways because that's meant to have come out through the kidneys and be gotten rid of. Mm. So, Mate, I think we've, you know, uh, we, we've covered anemia uh, in a lot of depth today. Good job. Well, thanks. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotty knows everything. That's going to be the, the, new, <laughs> oh. the name of the podcast. So you know what? Yeah. The day when I go, all right, let's find out. That's, that's, that should be the new name. Let's find out what Scotty doesn't know. Let's, let's, oh, we'll find it. Sooner or later, we'll find it. I, I know a little bit about a little bit of stuff, which is in a very select range of things. Um, no, you're doing but well. so far, you, you're kind and you're asking me questions asking about the, stuff I know about. <laughs> asking the right questions. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, okay, next time we'll talk about Dragon Ball Z. I'm sure I've got you on that one. But <laughs> <laughs> no, me and Goku are best buds. Oh, God damn it. All right. <laughs> All right. Mate, uh, let's hit stop. This has been a good fun one. Uh, thanks again. No trouble. It's been good. Thank you. Well, I hope you were taking notes like I was and caught all of that. But the good news is, if you missed a bit, it's a podcast. You can go back and listen to it again. Um, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I learned a lot about anemia. I hope you did too. Um, if you've got any questions, again, eric at brainandbodyhealth.com.au. Uh, make sure you um, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review so that we know that what we're doing is reaching people. Um, but if you've got uh, any questions for me, you can catch me over the phone 0298176611 or if you want to talk to Scotty, uh, 07337102222. Uh, bye for now.